1: Your character has to fail in telling their story. I think that's one of the beautiful things about fiction. It shows, like, you know, it truly is the messiness of life.
0: Hey, everybody, I'm Donnie Walton. And I'm Deisha Filioff. And this is the URSA podcast, where we geek out on all things short fiction. On this podcast, we'll interview authors, discuss collections and stories we love, and shine a light on new writers and those who never got their due.
2: And at URSA, we're not just talk, we're publishers too. Over at ursastory.com, we've created a new home for short fiction from some of today's most thrilling writers, as well as emerging voices with stories you can read on your phone and audio stories that you can listen to right here in your favorite podcast app. We're doing all of this with support from you. Become an URSA member today by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or by going to ursastory.com
0: slash join. And speaking of original stories from thrilling writers, we're so excited today to have William Pei Shi, author of the URSA original story, Happy Family. It's the story of a lost childhood, a struggling restaurant, and a bygone era of Chinatown. You can listen to happy family right here in this podcast feed or read at ursastory.com there's a link in the show notes you'll definitely want to give this story a listen it's performed by aria song and produced by alicia chan with original music by jiro yoshioka and illustrations by christina chung and a word of warning this episode will contain spoilers so if you haven't read or listened to happy family yet go do that and come back here afterward. Now, a little bit about our guests today. William Pesci's stories have been published or are forthcoming in the Best American Short Stories 2020, VQR, McSweeney's, The Southern Review, The Michigan Quarterly Review, The Boston Review, Friction, Catapult, The Asian American Literary Review, The Des Moines Register, The Master's Review, Read Magazine, Carve Magazine, and Hyphen, (laughs) Ooh, <laughs> what a list.
2: His right? stories, yeah.
0: His stories have been recognized by the John Steinbeck Award in Fiction, the Flannery O'Connor Award in Short Fiction, the Raymond Carver Short Story Award, the UK Bridport Prize, the London Magazine Short Story Award, among others. He's been awarded scholarships and support from the Sewanee Writers Conference, the Bread Loaf Writers Conference, the Sun Valley Writers Conference, Kundiman, the Napa Valley Writers' Conference, and the Ragdale Residency. He has served on the admissions board for the Breadloaf Writers Conference and is a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop, where he received an MFA in fiction. He was a recipient of the Dean's Graduate Fellowship there. He currently lives in New York City and teaches at NYU. Will, welcome. welcome. welcome, welcome. I'm so
1: excited to be here.
0: So, I the first thing I
2: really want to ask is, okay, when is the short story collection coming out? But no pressure. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll come back to
0: that, it's right? Sweet. <laughs> My body is ready for a William yes. Pagey <laughs> story collection. It's, you just... know, it's
1: still in the works. You know, I've written more stories than the collection can handle. And so still organizing and trying to make it so that it's cohesive.
2: So the, the, I guess this is a, a nice little segue, How did you get started? You know, so take us through, like you're now at the point where you have more stories than the collection can hold. How did you get started writing short fiction? And what are some of your earliest memories of creating stories and characters in your mind?
1: You know, I started out as a a music composition major as an undergrad. And, you know, I spent so much of my time studying structure and form. And so much of that carried over as I forwarded and moved into writing fiction, I must have started when I was a pre-med student. Just writing fiction felt so subversive. I didn't have to share it with anyone. I could keep it secret. It felt like practicing the piano. Mm-hmm. And I would write these secret stories. I feel like I'm still writing secret stories today.
0: <laughs> 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 I
1: love and that. Then, and then you just you keep them going.
0: Well, that's so interesting to me, because I do feel like Happy Family has sort of a confessional tone to it. It's like mm-hmm. Scarlett, um, the the narrator of that story, kind of spilling out um, her own secrets. But I want to back up a little bit, because writers like you fascinate me, because I'm like, how do you find the time? <laughs> you're not only a writer, but you teach chemistry at NYU. And I think you're teaching, like, what, four classes in chemistry?
1: Yeah, I am. Um, there are four chemistry classes for the uh, pre-med track. So it's like Gen Chem 1, Gen Chem 2, Orgo 1, uh, and Orgo 2. Uh, fun stuff for young people.
0: <laughs> My um, brain is bending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I am not a STEM person. Look, and I, I took just... physics for poets in college. That was it for Ooh, me. Physics.
1: For oh, that's poems, wonderful. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like a great class. Yeah, it's hard to find the time.
0: Yeah, and and you also just happen to be a classically trained musician. No big deal. Like, (laughs) amazing. Using all segments of your brain. And some of my favorite writers, I'm thinking about, you know, um, Chris Adrian, who's a doctor, and Amy Bloom, who's a psychotherapist. You know, the fact that they're also writers is amazing to me. How do you think about writing versus the other work and artistic expression in your life? And how do you fit it in?
1: it's interesting because when you're thinking about the pace of life sometimes i think about how it's just not suitable for fiction because storytelling is like one extraordinary event after extraordinary event and so for fiction you have to be unsettled in ways that in the other art forms they work like maybe like in a different vein and so so much of life is about like settling at least for me you know i think about like the long subway rides i have to take or Like I read books or I watch YouTube or I buy like a lottery ticket and I lose and it happens all the time. But like fiction is the part where like someone wins a lottery and then what happens after that? Like, do they live Mm. up to it? Do they buy a new house or do they get stoned to death or do they simply get stoned? You know? And so (laughs) for for me, (laughs) waking up in the morning can be a very extraordinary event because you know, oftentimes it's just hard to go about one's day, and I think like that's those are areas that fiction can explore that maybe something that like music can only be like maybe it doesn't explore in the same way.
0: Well, it's it's kind of interesting thinking. I mean, the way you're describing it, I'm thinking about all the different choices that one makes during the day and how rich that can feel, kind of like riffing in its own way, sure. um, as you might as a musician, but doing it as a writer, really interesting. So tell us about the evolution of Scarlett, who is our narrator for Happy Family, and how the character and her story came to you.
1: So I was thinking about the Chinatown of the 1990s, which is the Chinatown that I grew up and for a short amount of time I worked at a restaurant there. And you know, the Chinatown of the 1990s is was still the Chinatown that people had to go to to get things like groceries or, you know, to visit the doctor or to go to a restaurant. And then I was thinking about how like the Chinatowns across North America had always been isolated from the better parts of society in especially the major cities. And it's kind of amazing of how resilient the people are and how they've survived and kind of reinvented themselves over and over again. Um, Mm. And even how Chinatown has reinvented themselves um, as a city. And so with Happy Family, I wanted to try and see if I could capture some of that. Uh, The Chinatown, as a kid, working in a Chinese restaurant or working in my parents' fish cake factory, Um, And it was a challenging time. You know, your parents wanted you to succeed. And there was so much pressure to do that. And private schools were like out of the question because it was unaffordable. And so you had to apply to specialized high schools like Mm Stuyvesant. And it was like seen as the end for you if you didn't get in. These were parents who put all their eggs in one basket, so to speak. and, And that was their children. And so, yeah, it was kind of a desperate time.
2: And when were you when in uh, in your sort of your trajectory, were you did you first write um, Happy Family?" and were there multiple iterations of the story?
1: So the characters in Happy Family recur in some of my stories. And so happy family i had I had written as kind of like a side story for some of the main stories that were going on. I had started writing it when I was at the Iowa Writers Workshop and I had a draft of it. And I was working on other stories, and so I didn't revisit the story for a while. And then uh, when I submitted it for URSA, it was great. Like, um, Donnie saw something special in the story, and then we worked on the story together. And, you know, the story turned out not to be the story that I intended on writing. Um, It became, I think, like something different and, and, you know, the story that it's supposed to be. And that's that's what happens with revision and with um, collaboration. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with um, how it came out.
0: I'm so glad to hear that. And that actually segues nicely to something that I wanted to ask you so in addition to the edits that you and I did together on the text, we did revise the audio quite a bit um, as we layered in music and sound. Right. And I'm curious what effect did hearing those versions of the story with the narration and sound have on your edits and the changes that you made or how, how did the audio sort of change the way that you thought about the story?
1: It's true. Like when I started listening to someone read it back, it started, so I think like you recorded like a trailer or Ursa recorded a trailer for the story. And so when I was listening to Aria read it back, I realized I was writing it a bit too much like a writer and I needed to be even more in the character's head in order to mm. deliver this properly for someone to perform it. And, you know, when I listened to that, I was just like, I, I think I can get just get a little closer and... And I ended up, like, revising um, a large part of it to make that work, especially knowing that there was going to be music and sound effects to it.
2: I'm wondering about um, Scarlett um, and how she came to you. And I can certainly, you know, as I'm reading the story, you know, I feel like we are so close to her so that, you know, the editing that you did there, I think it really paid off because it does feel very close. And I, I didn't see any capital W writing there. It, I really felt like I was right there with with Scarlett. Can you talk about how that character came to fruition?
1: So in my last year at Iowa, um, I was working on a draft of a novel that starred Scarlett. And so mm-hmm. I had already been like working with this character for a bit. You know, Scarlett is a complicated character, and there's a lot of things that I have happened with her in the novel that really showcases this. And, you know, and I felt like she was someone who really showed what it was like to be in Chinatown in the 1990s and applying to specialized high schools and working at a Chinese restaurant in the novel. She's also like working at her parents'. Uh, real estate business and so mm-hmm. you know it does something like it, it accelerates youth in a way like it, it accelerates like maturity mm-hmm. and i was really drawn to someone like that
2: and i was struck by how lonely scarlet and all of the characters are um, you know, they, they aren't only um, unhappy, as, you know, as noted in the, in the beginning of the story, but they're, they're lonely even as they persist in being together, being a family, not being alone, as Scarlet notes. And I was wondering if this, this heaviness, this loneliness, was something that you were intentional about exploring when you were you know, sort of developing the story? Or did this um, facet of the characters evolve organically as you were writing the story?
1: You know, probably a little bit of both. I think, like, definitely being um, a first-generation immigrant, there is an aspect of loneliness that's always there. Mm. There's always, like, this aspect of kind of, like, being on the outside and looking in and trying to trying to kind of, like, succeed in, in ways that are almost, like, impossible. And that, you know, that forces someone to cultivate a loneliness. And, you know, it's it's true. Like, you know, I think about... I think about, like, my relatives and people in my own family, and there is definitely, like, a contentment there. And it's like a contentment with being, like, alone and being by themselves. It's bittersweet to see.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite things about this story is the retrospective narration, because whenever I read something retrospective like this, of course you're reading about the character in the past, but you're also kind of putting together a picture of the character in the present. Um, And so I wanna kind of get geeky a little bit and go back Mm to Iowa, where we talked about this thing all the time, which is point of telling. I was I was wondering, in your mind, why is Scarlett telling this story now? And I guess this gets to my curiosity as to where Scarlett is uh, in her life at this moment. And, and why are these moments prominent for her?
1: So one thing I like about, I think, first person is that um, it's always an unreliable narrator. And it's yeah. always somebody who's like looking back and... You know, uh, one thing that I like about Scarlett is that she messes up in her storytelling, which I think like is paralleling the messiness of of actual life. I see kind of like Scarlett as being someone who's kind of achieved a lot of the things she set out to achieve. I think by then Mm. she has gone to medical school and she's, I think like towards the end of the story, she's getting married. Her mother is walking her down the aisle. And I think like being there and realizing that it's just not everything that you had hoped for and trying to reflect back on, on why that is. I imagine her being there and telling the story with that in mind.
2: And I, I'm thinking of a section about, you know, towards the end of the story where with Scarlett saying, I was wrong, let me explain. Hmm. And we don't, Often see that you know in fiction, and um, and so this this you know re- that reflective quality reminded me of, of a refrain that we see throughout the story. But that was then, and that, as you have noted, was a kind of a nod to a changing Chinatown, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but this felt like such a contrast with. Scarlett's interior life, you know, time passes, Chinatown changes, Scarlett and her mother's fortune changes. And yet, there's something that remains the same for her. And I got the sense, like not in a good way. And I think that something might be how detached Scarlett feels from her mother and for perhaps from her husband who doesn't get a mention. We hear about her getting married, but we don't hear about a husband, I don't think. And then there's this great line from Popo who says, when we are healthy, we can hold grudges. I just, I love that line. So good. And, and, and here Popo is referring to cousin, uh, Scarlett's cousin, Victor. And I'm wondering, do you think Scarlett envies Victor um, his freedom to turn his back on their family?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure on some level Scarlett envies that. Um, I'm sure on some level, like Scarlett, wishes that she had pursued maybe more artistic endeavors. You know, she was someone who definitely wanted to make her parents proud. She had the, I think, the death of her father hanging over her, and then she had her very strict stepfather there trying to make the most of of uh, who she should be. But sure, I think like there is there is a huge element of regret at not trying to pursue all the things that like she could have been good at, like music, for example.
0: So New York City is such a character in this story. And I love You know, these scenes where Scarlett is sort of talking about the little shops where there's, you know, the tchotchkes in the window and things like that. And it just really, I mean, I came to New York in 2000, so I missed the 90s in New York City, but you grew up here. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, like, what's the nostalgia you feel that you kind of baked into this story of that era coming of age in New York City?
1: It was definitely a New York City. So I went to high school on 66th Street. It was Laguardia High School. It's the Performed with Nicki
0: Minaj. I should mention
1: <laughs> she <laughs> was, was, was in my awesome. gradu- graduating class. <laughs> oh my <laughs> and um, yeah, it was you know it was a it was a different world. It was like before social media. It was before Facebook. You know, you made plans with someone and you had to show up at that time, or else people would get mad at you. It was a different you know it was it was a New York where like. You were just used to not getting everything, like, immediately. You know, uh, the World Trade Center uh, was there. My classmates and I, we would go there after school. It's a New York that was, in some ways, harder to be. There was just, it just felt a little bit more grittier, a little Mm. more dangerous, especially Chinatown. Um, Mm. Now Chinatown is, like, much more, I mean, it was always kind of touristy, but now, like, you know, the gentrification and like the new generation bringing in restaurants and different and different stores, everything just seems like newer, but the Chinatown back then used to be something much more tied to the first wave of immigrants or the first generation of immigrants. Who came.
0: And I want to, I'd love to talk for a little bit. You know, I love Victor as a character. Hmm. <laughs> um, he is sort of the rebel of the story and he and Scarlet have a very beautiful kind of bonding moment, I think when they're sort of united in looking at sort of the, the, the facade that the family is putting on kind of, you know, Scarlett is watching Victor as he kind of reenacts this commercial for the restaurant. It's one of my favorite parts (laughs) of the story. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about um, how, Victor came into this story for you and why, and and what were the inspirations for him?
1: You know, I wanted a character that was kind of like the black sheep of the family. And so for this family, the black sheep is someone like Victor, who's maybe not as ambitious academically, who, you know, who has aspirations of, I think, being in a rock band and making commercials for Chinese restaurants. And I wanted something like this just to just this character to show a kind of counterpart to um, Scarlet. I felt like Victor brought out different sides of Scarlet. And it was kind of nice to see and to write about. And Victor is a character that I follow in some of my other stories. Victor definitely fails a lot more than Scarlet. And how he copes with that is something that I enjoy exploring and, and thinking about. And so I think like, you know, just to see their relationship and how they kind of like play and interact. That was quite interesting for me to write about.
2: Just building on that, I'm often drawn to character names in stories. So can you talk a bit about the significance of Scarlet and Victor?
1: I wanted a name for Scarlet that kind of was not of our generation. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted something that like, That reflected kind of like maybe like 1970s or 1980s hong kong when you know people were listening to maybe like richard Cleterman, you know this kind of like era where like it was under british rule and people had more of these kind of sensibilities and and so i was i gravitated toward a name like scarlet whereas for Mm -hmm. victor you know i wanted a name i mean he's so i don't know if i mentioned his last name here but he's part of the who family and so and I named it after Victor Hugo, who I was reading at the time.
0: Uh, okay.
2: Because I felt that. I interpreted it as... You know, Victor is the character who wins in Happy Family. <laughs> I,
0: I oh, know. that's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I. I um, Disha, when you asked that question, I was thinking that too. You know, because he is the one that seems. You know, although on the surface, you know, perhaps to other members in the family, he's not successful. But I do sort of imagine he's somewhere living the life that he wants. And not the life that anybody else wants for him. And it thrills me to know that there are more stories out there starring Victor and starring Scarlett. And just, you know, sort of broadening it out, the conversation out to short fiction in general. I mean, Will, that list of Hmm. publications you've been featured in. Is just amazing and then to oh, be in best you. american short stories in 2020 congratulations thank um you. and you have as you mentioned you have so many stories that like you would have to whittle them down for a collection but i'm wondering are there recurring themes that you notice in your stories or in your in your work in general
1: yeah sure i mean definitely themes of immigration and family You know, I think because I'm in academia so much, um, inequalities in academia, I think like themes of sexuality and identity. And I was thinking probably mostly of how people kind of treat each other and why they treat Mm. each other a certain way and what people tell themselves and, and what people tell each other instead. I think about that a lot when I'm trying to start a short story.
0: Speaking of stories on these themes, tell us about Enlightenment, which was the story that was in Best American and first published in VQR.
1: You know, Enlightenment, um, it's an interesting story because what I noticed is that most people read it as an unrequited love story, which is, it is that. But I did want to speak a little bit about who has access and who doesn't. And when I was Mm -hmm. writing Enlightenment, that was the heart of what the story was for me. It, it's, it was a difficult story to write. It, you know, I wrote it in my first year at Iowa and I was in Ethan Kanan's class. It's a third person present tense story, which is which is not easy for me. And- um, Oh,
0: why is that? Can, can I ask you just quickly, why is that?
1: No, sure, because sometimes like when I'm thinking about third person present tense, you're kind of like telling someone that something is happening at that moment right while it's happening and it's, it's sometimes it can come off unconvincing and so you have to kind of like psychologically trick yourself into using this
2: see now I want to experiment with that because <laughs> I I'm working on something that's first person present tense and that's mm. hard yeah. and so yeah. but it's like third person yeah I got a mental note I... on that <laughs>
0: I think present tense is just tricky in general because, mm-hmm. and I, I, I talk yeah. with my students a lot about this. I love it because it feels very urgent and immediate. But sure. the irony of it, present tense, for me, is that it slows the action down because you have to say everything that's happening as it's happening. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, I feel like it's not as flexible in terms of leaping through time as past tense. But it's, it's, right. it's a hard balance to strike, yeah, using that present voice.
2: And, well, I'm wondering, is there a typical way that a story starts for you, or is it different every time? And then also, how do you know when a story's done?
1: So starting a story is a bit of an abstract process, because, you know, sometimes I try to idea my way into a story, and oftentimes that doesn't work. You want to try and be the character first, mm-hmm. and then you want to stay as open as possible, I deploy the senses and and then you try to inhabit the excess of that person's life and their universe. And then you whittle that down to something that's oversimplified that I can call something like a narrative. And then you need this narrative to hold kind of like a mirror to the world while it resonates with a bit of truth. And so you have to allow the imagination to do a lot of the work here. And so if I'm lucky, I'll come to a point of entry. And I think that this is probably a good place to begin. And sometimes it doesn't even turn out to be the beginning, which is another difficulty, but it's a place to mm-hmm. kind of enter the vein, so to speak. And so much of it is instinct, I think. I try to teach my writing students how to how to start a story, and it's really difficult. I do think that people have instincts for this, and people are really good at trusting their guts. And when, when you, once you know how to trust your gut and trust yourself, then the rest is kind of like just refinement after refinement.
0: Yeah. And how do you know when it's done? Is that a gut thing too? Do you think,
1: you know, conclusions are, yeah, I I guess endings are difficult. If you write a story where kind of like the character doesn't realize the story that they're actually telling, then you're kind of like headed towards a conclusion, but I'm not like, that doesn't always work. Um, So sometimes like I really enjoy watching reality shows because you have the character in a confessional and they're like telling their side of the story. And I think like this is like a great way of learning how to write from the point of view of somebody who's trying to defend themselves because it's how they're telling it. Right. And they like Mm -hmm. give up secrets of themselves that, you know, that they can't hide for long. And then you walk away thinking like, Oh, this character is the type of person to say, you know, close your legs to married men. Like you shouldn't, you know, I'm surprised, you know, while they're like trying to say things. And so like once the character has failed in trying to tell the, the story that they're telling, I, I think, like, that's when I start realizing that it has to come to an end.
0: That is fascinating. Um,
2: <laughs> I was just going to say, I am imagining an awesome writing prompt where you take all your characters <laughs> and you put them in a reality TV situation and have them Oh, that write. would be great.
0: They're confessionals. Like, you'd learn so much that way.
2: I would love that.
0: That was actually kind of, you know the thing about writing opal and nev which was written in interview form was really mm. keeping in mind that characters are trying to present themselves in a certain light mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they definitely have their own agendas and developing those characters is definitely understanding what those agendas are mm-hmm. um and i i definitely agree that you know i mean Reality shows are also my guilty pleasure, but I also <laughs> kind of see them as research because it is yeah. so interesting to getting at something about human nature. I love that. You know, we could talk about Real Housewives of <laughs> all day. Like, that's Will and I both watch that one, and uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: and you know what, Donnie, even your choice of word of agenda—that's so different than saying, you know, write the character from the you know the character's perspective of what's happening. If you tell me that, I'm gonna. Write Write something. If you tell me to write and make it clear what their agenda is, mm-hmm. I'm going to write something even better.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a process of interrogating that character. Mm-hmm. And I like what you said, too, Will, about um, how you maybe come at the story at first with an idea, but then as you develop the characters, you have to kind of throw that out the window. You know what I mean? Because it's like you can't have you know the story be like you know you have a round hole and then suddenly your characters are becoming square pegs like they don't they don't fit anymore and so the story has to evolve it has to change
1: yeah and you your character has to fail in telling their story i think that's one of the beautiful things about fiction it shows like you know it truly is the messiness of life
2: and we want to protect them but then we have no story (laughs) So it's like you have a choice. (laughs) You can protect the character and have no story, or you can have an amazing story, but things get messy or difficult or painful or devastating, you know, for your character.
0: And I'm I'm curious for you both, does that kind of, um, as things get messy and as you make these choices that change things for your character, as the writer, I find that to be a very emotional process. And sometimes, like, heartbreaking, weirdly. And you kind of, like, even though you know, Disha, as you said, like, what you're writing is good, it's just different than what you thought. And it's, I don't know. It, it, sometimes I have to kind of take a moment.
2: Yeah, I think the more that you, the better you write your characters, it's because you're able to empathize. But then I think the more you empathize with them, the more you're feeling what they're feeling. And I've definitely been in this situation where I've put off that confrontation. I've put off that loss because Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel it too. I mean, if I'm doing my job right, I'm going to feel it too.
0: So here's a little fill in the blank. Hmm. (laughs) The hardest part of writing a short story is,
1: you know, finding time. I think finding mm. <laughs> finding like the ideal time where like everything aligns, you know, you're at your most conscious or mm. like, you know, where you can really like sit down and write well. Um, I think that that's, that's, that's been a difficulty for me.
0: What are sort of the ideal conditions for you? Do you have any rituals that kind of like get you into that space?
1: So, you know, I think when I was younger, I probably had more rituals like I had to have a certain tea, or I had to read something extensive before just to kind of psychologically get myself ready. But I think just because, like, now, like, time is limited, if I could just have a cafe for like two hours, like, it mm. is a very welcome gift.
0: I envy you being able to write in a cafe.
1: Is it hard? <laughs> is it too noisy? It's-
0: um, it's too noisy, and I'm very nosy as well. So I'm always <laughs> sort of like, "Hey, I'm nosy too." <laughs> but it You're shows hustling. up in the,
2: it goes in the story, <laughs> or if not the story yeah. I'm working on, it goes in another story. But I also yeah. like I, I can write in with noise going on around me. I can.
0: That's amazing. I envy that. <laughs> and then, um, my favorite part of writing a short story is.
1: I'd be curious what you both think, but um, probably like the discovery
0: Mm.
1: of surprising yourself. That's something like, as you're writing, you you can only idea yourself like to a certain point. And then as you continue to write, there are moments of surprise and discovery that I think like I would never have realized had I not started writing this specific story.
2: For me, it's... um... It It's the it, not quite the opposite, but the discovery part, I enjoy it and it feels like play and experimentation and all of that. But it's torture for me as a planner because I can plan in other aspects of my life, but I don't have success planning my writing. So I write, I draft to discover. So my favorite part is actually going back and revising after mm. I have a draft. Mm. So wow. that's my favorite part. Donnie, how about you? Mm-hmm.
0: For me, um, I love the moments where I'm laughing, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not, it's not something that's like on the nose funny, although I like to write things that are funny and I Mm -hmm. like funny voices, but sometimes it's something that feels very familiar or Mm -hmm. true that Mm -hmm. makes me sort of chuckle to myself. And I love that moment as a reader as well. So, you know, Disha, a lot of your stories and secret lives of church ladies, the things that I recognized in it. I mean, we mm-hmm. talk a lot about the, um, you know, the Publix. Was it the macro- macaroni salad from Publix? Oh, the Publix? potato salad. The potato salad it up. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, um, so I don't know, you know, Publix isn't in New York, but this is a Florida grocery chain. And they're sort of like, you know, well known for their their. Uh, deli selections. <laughs> like, so moments like that, that I recognize and feel deeply mm-hmm. from my own experience, for some reason it triggers a laugh response. So I that's my favorite part when I hit on something that either feels funny or very, very true. So interesting. I'm wondering, Will, about your surprising yourself. Can you think of a moment uh, in a story where that happened? And can you explain it a little
1: so, I think like with, let's in Happy Family, I think like originally in a previous draft, I don't think I had Scarlett be such an unreliable narrator. I had her just mm-hmm. telling the story. And so, as I was becoming more and more like the Scarlett who would end up telling this story, the way she questions her point of telling it and the mistakes she makes in her point of telling, um, all of those moments kind of like surprised me as I was writing it.
0: And you know this is a spoilerific podcast, so we can talk about specific <laughs> plot points. But um, at what what were sort of the moments where you felt Scarlet moving into unreliability?
1: Yeah, I mean, like like Disha pointed out, where like Scarlet would say something like um, "Let me explain," or "It didn't right. happen," or you know, um, she's she had this, you know, in one of the final drafts. Um, she does this really cool thing that I've never done in any of my short stories, where she just ends things on like four words, and I was like, "That's such a Scarlet thing to do." <laughs> Why is she using her SAT words?
0: <laughs> oh, Scarlet! Yeah, <laughs> um, I will say that she she is a character that I really loved and I empathized with a lot. And I the moment for me, like, of course, when you find out that she's the one. That takes the money from the register. Mm -hmm. I gasped, and yet it felt so true Mm -hmm. to the character and to everything that I had learned about her up to that point. And it sort of fell in line with, you know. I also think that there's a lot of loneliness in this story, but there's also there's also some bitterness and there's some Mm -hmm. fire in Scarlet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sure. And that moment, like I don't even think that was in the original draft. It was after you and I tossed it back and forth a couple of times. And and yeah. then I was just like, Scarlett, you've been keeping the secret from me all this time. <laughs> yeah. You're going to put
0: it on the page. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it.
2: And yeah. so, Will, uh, let's talk about what you're reading now or what you've read recently. Are there any short story collections that, um, that you're excited about?
1: Yeah. Um, what it means to... F- uh, when a Man Falls from the Sky by Leslie Nekora Riva is a brilliant collection. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like it touches all the seasons of human emotions, and it's a yes. story. It's a story collection that I'll uh, read from time to time. And another story collection, um, or I should say, like a song cycle of a collection, is Cleanness by Garth Greenwell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's just such a master of style, and his writing is such so perfect on the sentence level yeah, yes. and one uh, one more collection that I read recently is uh, "Look How Happy I'm Making You" by Polly Rosenwakey. And it's just these wonderful stories about early motherhood. And
2: Ooh, I haven't heard of that one.
1: yeah, it's great. And, you know, and she's just so witty on the page, and I just love like witty writers, writers mm-hmm. who can make me laugh.
0: so much William for coming on
2: I loved being here
0: ah oh, it's such a pleasure such a pleasure and
2: thanks for your story it is a treasure
0: thank you we're so proud to to feature it and um, likewise excited for the collection that we know is coming yes yes <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's conversation and want more, become an URSA member by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or by going to ursastory.com slash join. You'll help us produce our original stories and you'll support our work on this podcast as we turn you on to our favorite writers and short stories. You can support this podcast by leaving a review and a comment in Apple Podcasts. Until next time.